Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Grab your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Daniel chapter 3. Daniel 3. Daniel 3, we'll start with the first verse hopscotch a little bit through the chapter just so you get the picture of what's going on. Verse 1 said, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then a, a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the, flu, the horn, flute, zither, li, uh, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Anyone who refuses, this is really important, anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three Hebrew uh, slaves, have been taken captive from the land of Judah and brought into the kingdom of Babylon. These three guys, he demanded that they be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to him, Is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I've set up? Then he said, I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then, then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? That's what you call in literature foreshadowing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a chance to be in your house today. God, thank you so much that we got to baptize two brand new, uh, brand new converts today, brand new disciples. We're so thrilled and so honored that we were able to witness that and to be a part of that. Lord, thank you for the chance to worship you freely and openly, Lord, in the way that, that our spirits and our hearts lead us. And now, Lord, I thank you that we get a chance to declare your word freely and openly. Lord, it's a blessing, and I pray that we never take it for granted. I pray that as we hear your word today, that we wouldn't just hear it and try to understand it, but Lord, that we would do it, that we'd do it, and not just be hearers of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of you are 18 or older in here? Let me see your hands, if you can still lift it. <clears throat> 18 or old, grown folks in here. So let, let me just ask you real quick. How's, how's all that adulting going for you? Y'all having fun yet? Not so much. Y'all having fun yet? Uh, is it like you thought it was going to be? Is it everything you hoped it would be when you were 14? Beginning to know everything? You don't really know everything until you're 18, but, but when you're 14, you, you start seeing it line up, right? You start. I figured as long as I avoided uh, quicksand and piranhas 
and the Bermuda Triangle that life was going to be pretty good. Uh, turns out I was, I was wrong. It's a little more complicated than that. Any of you under 18? Any under 18? Some of you didn't raise your hand for either one. You do realize the math on that is not in your favor. You either got to be over 18 or under 18. Or Anyway, uh, is you, how is it going to school? School perfect? Is school great? Is it like the Disney shows and the Nickelodeon shows where all your problems get resolved in 30 minutes or less with 18 commercials in between? Where the bullies always get what's coming to them and they apologize to everybody before the day's out? Where your parents always make the right decisions? And your friends are always there for you, where you always have everything you need and everything you want, and nobody calls you names, nobody makes fun of you. It got real quiet. Y'all thinking about school now? School's not really like that, is it? So today I'm going to start a brand new series for real people, not for TV people, okay? Real people with real lives, and with real challenges, and with real problems. The series is for people who from time to time, maybe more than they'd actually prefer, they find themselves walking through the fire. Walking through the fire. Anybody ever been through the fire? Anybody just don't want to raise their hand today? It's okay. I won't ask you again. That's okay. Sometimes you walk through the fire uh, uh, some, you walk through fires entirely of somebody else's own making. You didn't have nothing to do with it. You just get dragged into the drama, right? Sometimes you did it to your stupid self, right? Uh, it might be a health crisis. It might be a financial crisis. It might be a relationship crisis. It might be a crisis of faith. It might be the backlash from a difficult decision. I didn't say a wrong decision. I just said a difficult decision. Uh, it might be a sticky legal issue. It might be an issue at school. Any of almost an endless list of causes for the fires we find ourselves in in our lives. Whatever the source, whatever the nature or the intensity or the duration of the fire that you walk through, none of them are pleasant. Nobody's like, yay, fire, right? It's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to get frustrated. Now, I want to make sure I get your expectations uh, aimed correctly here. There is nothing that we're going to talk about in this series that's going to make walking through a fire an enjoyable experience. Okay? It's not going to suddenly make the fire fun. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure that walking through the fire is supposed to be enjoyable. It kind of defeats the purpose. But what if there was a way to approach the fires of our lives, to approach fire walking that would at least help to maximize the benefits, and there's always benefits to walking through the fire. I thought there would be at least three amens there. Uh, and, and, and also help you provide some context for even understanding your fire. Would that be helpful? So this series is called the Fire Walking Series. The fire walking series. We're going to take a look at the experience of these three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and see if there are some principles that we can observe in their fire walk that can help us in the times that we walk through fires of our own. So I've identified five principles. It's probably going to be about three weeks, but you know I never really know. Uh, And we're going to start with the first one today, and the first one is the fire focus principle. The fire focus principle. Now, your focus makes all the difference. Have you figured that out in life yet? 
Your, your, your mental approach, your focus makes all the difference. You have to approach a fire with the right mindset or very quickly it's going to become a source of frustration for you. Now, there have been many instances where the fires of life have not only uh, been an impediment to somebody's faith, but in many cases actually destroyed somebody's faith. Your focus when you're walking through the fire makes all the difference. So let's go back to the passage, pick up right where we left off. In verse 16, chapter 3 in Daniel, uh, it says this, Shadrach, Meshach, now remember the last thing he said to him was, if you don't do what I tell you to do and bow down and worship this statue, then I'm going to throw you in the furnace. Now, who, then who's God's going to be able to rescue you? And here's the response. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship your gold statue that you've set up. Period. Throughout history, men and and women have faced fiery trials because of their faith in Christ. Because for most of world history, society and culture have been at odds with those who truly follow Christ. I think we've been lulled to sleep a little bit in our country uh, because for so long many of the principles of Christianity were culturally congruent. They were accepted, sometimes even celebrated, but at the very least tolerated. That is, that is no longer the case. I don't know if you've peeked out your door lately, but this world is crazy. It's nuts. The, the closer we get to the return of Christ the more we can expect to walk through the fire simply because of our faith in him. More and more, the principles upon which we build our lives are at odds with the core beliefs of the culture. So we can expect in the years to come to be faced with some angry Nebuchadnezzars of our own from time to time, demanding that we conform to the slippery standards of this world. But whatever the source of your fiery trial, your focus, your approach to it makes all the difference. Now, here's the principle that I want, to, want you to see today, the fire focus principle that, that I want you to see from the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego approached this very literal fire for them. They trusted in God. Here's the principle. They trusted in God as both Savior and Sovereign. They trusted in God as both Savior and and sovereign. They very boldly proclaimed their faith in the ability of God to save them out of the predicament that they found themselves in. Now, this was pure faith on their part, okay? It was all faith. God had not spoken any specific promises to them about what was going to happen. They did not have a thus saith the Lord. Nobody had ever said, hey, if you're ever about to get thrown into a fiery furnace, this is what you do and this is what you say and God will get right down there and just rescue right on out of there. There's none of, they didn't have any of that. There was none of that. They, they simply found themselves in a place where their faith was being challenged and they wanted to make it clear that their God was far more powerful than the human king that they were standing in front of. If they were New Testament guys, they would have echoed the sentiments of the Apostle John in 1 John when they said, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. See, they were looking at a human king 
who thought himself to be divine. He and everybody around them, tens, probably hundreds of thousands of people were looking on and they considered this king to be their God. So the declaration of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was full of faith-filled bravado. They said, our God is able to deliver us out of your hands. We're convinced that the power of God, the God that we serve, will supersede the power that you claim to possess on this earth. And you know what? They were right. They were right. Their theology was spot on. You see, they were descended from a people, the Hebrew people, who had, been, who had seen God part the Red Sea. They had seen God dry up the Jordan River when it was flooded. They had seen the sun stand still so their soldiers could keep fighting and win the battle. They had seen the walls of Jericho fall down flat. They were convinced that they served a powerful, wonder-working, miracle-making God for whom pulling three Hebrew dudes out of a fire was no big deal. They were absolutely convinced of the power of God to save them. When you're walking through a fire, don't let the fear and the panic cause you to forget the supernatural power of a God who still saves lives. He still moves among us. He still works. He still speaks. He still heals. He still calms raging seas with a word. He still turns the hearts of kings to do his will. He still persuades politicians to do the right thing, sometimes even despite themselves. He still, he still rescues, and he still reveals truth, and he still makes the enemy give back what he stole. He still defends widows and orphans and the downtrodden and the underdog. We serve a God for whom nothing is impossible. You have to believe that. You will never make it through the fires of this life if, if your faith is in some impotent, handcuffed deity who's as baffled by your circumstance as you are. If he's not the way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper that scripture reveals him to be, then where's our hope coming from? And why, and maybe more importantly, why are we following him? You have to believe that our almighty God is on your side. Believe in Christ our Savior, who not only saves us from our sins, but saves us from the fires of life that we find ourselves in. Listen, I'm just telling you today, Jesus is still in the saving business. So he's not the least bit intimidated by the fiery circumstance that you're going through. When you approach a fiery trial, you do so with complete faith in Jesus as our Savior. Amen? But that's only half the principle. That's just the front half. They had an unwavering faith in God as their Savior, but they also trusted in him as sovereign. They said to the king, if you throw us in this fire, our God is going to rescue us. And if he doesn't rescue us, we're still never going to bow. They didn't say, even if God can't rescue us, because that was never that was never in question. They knew the God that they served. They said, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, even if he chooses a different path for us to walk, even if the dramatic and miraculous rescue that we have imagined and believed God for 
doesn't manifest. Even if it doesn't, we're still going all in with him. We've spent years in the Pentecostal church especially teaching people to face their fires with faith in Jesus, to save them from them. But very rarely have we balanced it with his sovereignty. Sovereignty is the right of God to exert his will in, in any situation. Too many times we find false hope in a, prophet, a promise that God never made. We buy into the myth that if you just claim it and believe it hard enough that God is somehow obligated to do what you say. That, that, that's not faith. That's, that's extortion. It's spiritual blackmail. Like somehow we're backing God into a corner and forcing him to do what we want. He's the God of the universe. He's not scared of you. He's not intimidated by you. And he isn't obligated to fulfill promises that he never made. He just makes stuff up. Just write a note and sign God's name to it. Take it to the principal like you little bad kids did when y'all was in school. He, that's not how that works. He knows what he said. He will do what he said. But he's not obligated to do what you say. He's Savior, yes, but he's sovereign. What we forget is that God is love. And his sovereignty isn't a power trip. It's an expression of that love. So Psalm 84 says that, the Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what's right. So whatever he does and whatever he doesn't do is because of his love and his goodness. If he didn't give it to you, if he didn't do it for you, it's because it wasn't good for you. I'm going to say that again because that's hard to hear. If he didn't give it to you or he didn't do it for you, it wasn't good for you. The fire focus principle is balanced. It has to be both. See, there are ditches on both sides of that, though. There's ditches on both sides of the equation. If you're only on the Savior side, first of all, it's quite possible that the motive for you holding on to God and then the so-called faith that you have is actually fear or pride. Because you're, maybe you're terrified of any other outcome, so you're clinging to the only thing that gives you any semblance of peace. Or you're so full of pride that you're convinced that you, all by your little self, have figured out the best solution to your problem or the best exit from your fiery furnace. On the other side, if you only focus on God as sovereign, if you just say, well, God knows best, I'll just let him decide. That's not faith. That's fate. That's Greek mythology. It's not a biblical concept. The clear command of Scripture is to pray about everything, to make our petitions known to Him, to cast every care upon Him. James said you don't have because you didn't ask. He wants us to ask. He wants us to seek. He wants us to knock. He wants us to bring our cares to him. He wants us to call on him and not just leave it up to whatever happens. You have to trust in the Lord and not lean to your own understanding. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had full faith in God's ability to deliver them. 
but also perfect peace. That if he didn't do it the way they imagined him to do it, they were still making the right choice. That's a mature faith. When God said his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, it means that there are things that he has in mind that we can't see or even comprehend. We're playing checkers. And God's playing like a three-level chess game that we can't even imagine. He, he's got the most complicated game uh, of multi-level chess you can, you can ever wrap your mind around. He, he's got plans that you don't know about. He, he's making connections and teaching lessons and preparing you for things that you don't even know are coming yet. Things that happy endings and painless existence won't prepare you for. So in his love, he allows, things, he allows you to go through things. That's why your faith in the sovereign has to be just as strong as your faith in the Savior. When we say, when we say he's perfect in all of his ways, you do realize he, nothing ha- he doesn't do anything by accident. So when we say he's perfect in all of his ways, that means his perfection shows up in what he does and in what he does not do. In what he saves us from and in what he allows us to go through. And through it all, no matter what he decides, he is always good. And he's always fair and he's always just and he's always right. And because we belong to him, the promise of God is that whatever we go through will always work together with everything else we go through for our good. When you walk through a fire, you have to walk through with a focus on the Savior and the Sovereign. And put your complete trust in both because they're the same person. They're the same person. The strongest rebuke that Jesus had for any of the disciples was when he told them he was going to suffer and be crucified. And then, then look what happened. Matthew 18, I think it's 18, 16. Matthew 16, 22, Peter took Jesus aside. Jesus just said, hey, I'm gonna go, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. They're going to really mistreat me, abuse me. They're going to crucify me. Third day, I'm going to rise again. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand <laughs> Jesus for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord. Now, that's not the craziest thing you ever heard. Who made heaven? Heaven forbid, Jesus. Oh, my bad. So anyway, heaven forbid, Lord, Peter said. This will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter. How would you like to hear this from Jesus? Get away from me, Satan. (laughs) You're a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. He wasn't talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to Peter. There is a perspective that God has about things that you may not be able to see in the heat of the moment. But you should at least acknowledge the possibility that it exists. If you only see things from a a human perspective, Jesus said it's a trap for you. You have to get the poison out of your head that the only thing that glorifies God is the happy ending. 
the plan God had for our salvation didn't just um, include sacrifice, it required sacrifice. There was no path to God's ultimate plan and will that did not pass through the suffering and sacrifice of the life of Jesus. There was no way around it. So when Peter says, God forbid, what he, what he didn't know he was saying was then there is no path for salvation. You have to focus your attention on not just the incredible power of Jesus, but also his incredible wisdom. He's always playing the long game. Even in the details of our lives. Now these two roles as sovereign and savior interact in all kinds of interesting ways in our lives. People sometimes get really hung up on not just being saved from the fire, but also on how that deliverance happens. You ever try telling the Lord not just um, how you want the prayer to answer, but like what path you want him to take and like what's the timeline and how you want it to look and feel and sound and smell and all the things, all the things. We get so specific with our requests sometimes to God that we, that we sometimes don't see or sometimes just refuse to accept a different alternative. Y'all, God's got a thousand ways to do everything. Like he only makes snowflakes the same. And you can't even see it. You don't even know they're different. He made them different just because he's God and he's cool like that. He's got a thousand ways to do everything. We think because we thought of one thing that he's required to take our suggestion. I mean, sometimes I am so excited just to have like one thought. I just want to share it with him. But it doesn't mean it's the best thought. I know a lady who had uh, a cancerous spot on her body asked the Lord to heal her, which is not a problem. That's, in matter of fact, seems very sensible to me because all healing comes from the Lord, right? She'd been to the doctor. The doctor had said it's a very simple procedure. They could do it in office to, to remove the place. But she insisted that God was going to heal her supernaturally. So as it progressed, months went by, it would have required uh, a much more involved surgery, but she still had lots and lots of good uh, options in front of her that would have restored her to health. She refused. She would only accept a supernatural healing, and she doubled down on uh, what she called faith and confession, but might have just been stubbornness in disguise. Right? She died of a completely curable disease because she could only accept one very specific exit from the fire that she was walking through. Completely disregarded the sovereignty of God and the grace of God and the incredible blessing of modern medicine, which comes from him too. So John, you're saying I shouldn't pray specifically? Are you saying I shouldn't ask God for what I need or, or for even what I want? I'm not saying that at all. I'm simply pointing out that God knows more than you and better than you and has more options than you and knows the future that you don't know and knows what you need for that future better than you and is just better at being God than you are. So what I'm saying is flow with him as he's being God and answering your prayer, even if that looks or feels a little different than you had it imagined. 
John, are you saying I, I shouldn't have faith in, in what I'm believing God for? I'm saying you should believe God, period. Not believe God to do a particular thing. That's not a, there's not a real biblical basis for believing in an outcome separate from the will of God. There's not a real biblical basis for believing in a thing to happen rather than believing in the God who makes it happen. Your faith is only as valid as the object of your faith. I hear people say it all the time. It makes me cringe. Oh, she's going to be all right. She's got a strong faith. I'm like, in what? What's her faith in? If your faith is just in your ability to believe that something good's going to happen, that's not the faith of this word. Your faith connects you to a person with a will and with knowledge that you don't possess. So your faith is only as valid as the object of your faith. Trust God to do the best thing instead of limiting him to the one you thought of. There you are. I don't know where Corey even went to. I'm, I'm about to close, but I, I want this. I, this is really important. I want you to understand this. We, we also have to trust that his solution for one person in a particular situation or for a particular situation from time to time uh, may not always be the same thing. Here's what I'm saying. Just because it happened one way in one person's life doesn't, doesn't mean it's going to necessarily happen the same way in another person's life. Just because did it, God did it one time in your life this way does not mean he's going to do it again the same way. You say, John, I think you're making stuff up. Acts chapter 12. God saved Peter from execution. Sent an angel, woke him up. Dude, getting executed the next day. He's asleep on the rock floor. Angel had to go like slap him and get him up. James got beheaded in that same week. Peter lived, James didn't. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas got saved from uh, prison, got released from prison. God sent an earthquake, opened the doors of the prison. It was cool, it was a great thing to read about. But many years later, Paul, same guy, would spend years in prison and then die at the hands of Caesar, martyred for his faith. The apostle John, miraculous, he was, he was being executed for his faith they were going to boil him in oil. Dude would not boil. He just wouldn't die. Popped him on up out of there. His little slick self sent him out to the Isle of Patmos. Said, well, eventually you got to die of something. Every one of the other 11 disciples, apostles, all died horrible deaths for their faith. Why did, why did Jesus live? All the other 11 die. You know, what, you know how Jesus responded to that in John 21? When Peter said, Hey, you just told me how I'm going to die. What about John? Don't that sound like, guys? A bunch of men. Well, what about him? Has he got to do it? I ain't got to do it. You know what Jesus said? Ain't none of your business. He really did. He said, it's, it's really none of your business what I do with, with the, my followers. I do what I want to do with them. There's no formula. There's no, he, he's had a personal, specific plan for all of us. We've got to trust that he's in the best position to decide what happens to us in the fires of our lives. The three Hebrew guys, they went all in with God. But because they focused on him as both Savior and Sovereign, 
it left all the options on the table. And God chose one for them that's still being talked about today, 3,600 years later. God knows what's best. He knows what's best. Trust in God's power to deliver you from the fire or to be faithful to you through the fire and in his wisdom to decide which one's best. Y'all stand with me. Some of you are walking through a fire right now. And you just, maybe you're just getting started or maybe it's been going for a while. And you're getting weary. Trust Him. Trust Him. Lean into Him. Trust that what He's doing is going to work out for your good. Tell Him what you want, what you need. Tell Him all those things. Man, pour out your heart to Him. Tell Him how miserable it is how hard it is, tell him all those things. He knows. He's he's not intimidated by that. But also tell him that you trust him to lead you on the path that's going to take you out of there, whatever that looks like. Okay? You need strength in the fire? Ask him for it. You need your faith increased? Ask him. Get into the word. Worship him in spirit and in truth. Right? But trust him. Trust. We're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna pray, and then the team's gonna sing one more song. We'll be dismissed together in just a few minutes. If you want to pray about the fire that you're in, or trying to understand the fire that you've just walked out of, that's cool. You can come and pray. If you've got something else going on in your life that you want to pray about, completely fine to just come and pray about whatever you want to. And if you want somebody to pray with you, you just let us know. We'll be happy to pray with you. Okay? We'll be dismissed in just a second. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your word. And I thank you, Lord, that you are both Savior and sovereign. And I pray that you'd help us and our faith would increase in both those directions. We're not intimidated by, by what we're facing. But Lord, that we also trust you to walk through it with us. And Lord, I just pray that you draw every person to this altar today that you want to meet here. And we just thank you that you are moved by the feeling of our infirmities, by the difficulties that we go through, and that you are meeting us here in the midst of that fire. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.